Hey ladies, welcome to WTF, Women Talking Frankly, a running conversation with your hosts, Kyle and Candace. And you, about issues facing women, such as health, hormones, our looks, our libido, life, and anything in between. We promise to dig deep and get into it each episode. Welcome. We're so glad you joined us today. Welcome back to WTF, Women Talking Frankly, with your co-hosts, Candace and Kyle. In our last episode, we talked about the fact that too many women still aren't told, and frankly, they don't understand what's happening to them when the symptoms of a hormone imbalance shows up unannounced and uninvited, the anxiety that comes out of nowhere, the once felt belly gone from flat to fat, and we never had a weight problem before, WTF. Finding ourselves irritated over every little thing, crying during commercials, or breaking out in a sweat in the middle of a meeting, in the middle of the night. We live in fear that our foggy brain will embarrass us at the very moment when we badly need to be on top of our game. But if we really think about it, this has been going on for a while now, and we've just been pushing through the bad mood, sleepless nights, lost libido. To tell the truth, we haven't been feeling like ourselves for a while now. What the F is going on? So this is where we come in, Candace and myself. We're going to open the door to an ongoing conversation about what exactly is going on, where nothing is more important than knowing the right questions to ask and not being afraid to ask them. So let's start with the all-important question. Are these symptoms I'm struggling with all in my head, as my provider tells me? Or is there some other underlying reason that explains, why am I so tired, so bitchy, and I'd I'd rather prefer to delete my emails than have sex with my ever-patient partner, WTF. Could it be my hormones? You bet it could be your hormones. In our last couple episodes, we shared our own topsy-turvy hormonal journeys, and we talked a lot about the symptoms we hear from our patients every day. And while it's important to pay attention to symptoms because they are warning us that something's not right, symptoms don't reveal exactly what's not right. And this is where the plot thickens, because behind every symptom is a hidden hormonal imbalance just waiting to sabotage our best efforts to feel and look our best. Remember in the last episode, we talked about the hormonal symphony that needs to play in synchrony for everything to sound right. So if one part of the, of the orchestra is out of balance, it just sounds discordant. Well, when it comes to hormone imbalances, we can certainly identify the culprits that cause our own hormonal symphony to play out of tune, and there are a surprising number of them. But let's start with the mother of all hormone imbalances, the dreaded estrogen dominance. Drum roll. Da-da-da-dum. Da-da-da-dum. So, Candace, what exactly is estrogen dominance? So estrogen dominance is uh, an imbalance, a major hormone imbalance of the two master female hormones, estrogen and progesterone. Um, Estrogen is that hormone that is the growth hormone. It grew all our female organs. It grew the egg and the ovary every cycle. It thickens the lining of the the endometrium, um, that blood-rich lining that we shed as a period. It... um, 
you know, it grew our breasts, our uterus, our ovaries, all of our female organs, our, our curves. It makes us female. So estrogen, I remember Dr. Zava often calling estrogen the angel of life and the angel of death because it gives us life. But when it grows out of control, estrogen can be uh, a threat to our health. Um, untrammeled growth, uncontrolled by its balancing partner, progesterone, can be a problem. It can cause weight gain and PMS and mood swings and and more serious issues like endometriosis and fibroids and down the road even breast cancers 97 percent of them are related to too much estrogen so when we talk about estrogen dominance as far as i describe it it really is it's an excess of estrogen relative to progesterone so it can show up on a test result as a low estrogen it can show up as a normal estrogen it can show up as a high estrogen but the clincher is what is the level of progesterone relative to estrogen. Okay, let's talk about progesterone a little bit. What does progesterone do? Right. So progesterone is the hormone that only shows up basically when we ovulate. And that begins at puberty for most women. And it's produced each month in the second half of the menstrual cycle. It's called the luteal phase. The first half of the phase is called the follicular phase. And that's when the egg is being prepared for ovulation. Once the egg is ovulated, it begins to produce progesterone. Well, the corpus luteum begins to produce progesterone. That magical little organ that it, forms from the ruptured follicle. Exactly. It's amazing. And progesterone is something that is extremely important for our health. It helps us to be calm. It helps us to sleep. It helps with our carbohydrate metabolism. It helps with anxiety. It helps with our libido. And it, as the when Candace was talking about estrogen making things grow, Progesterone, think of it as the organizing hormone. It helps things organize and slows down and makes things more, makes them less dangerous for our bodies. So each month, what happens is in a normal menstrual cycle, we have a certain level of estrogen that's produced by the ovary that stimulates a, a hormone called the FSH or follicle stimulating hormone to be released to, into a critical point. Then our body re releases an egg that's called ovulation. There's another hormone in there called LH, luteinizing hormone, helps to cre create that corpus luteum. And then our bodies begin to produce progesterone. The progesterone levels stay high in relationship to that estrogen. So we now have a, a very nice state between those two hormones. And then if an egg is not fertilized, both those hormones begin to drop very quickly. And then again, your body sheds the lining of the uterus. It's called the menstrual cycle. And then the cycle starts all over again. As a woman gets older, what happens is right. the eggs are aging. So the eggs are aging and they're no longer producing as much progesterone as they used to. So what can happen to a woman is that her progesterone levels reach a, a, a ratio that's below the optimal range. And we begin to have, like Candice was saying, the estrogen levels can still be normal, but the progesterone levels are so low that she now has estrogen dominance. The other thing that can happen, like as Candice was mentioning, is that some women, due to either their metabolism or they're very overweight, can be producing way too much estrogen and then, again, too, much, too little progesterone, and they have very severe symptoms of estrogen dominance. Yeah, it's important to mention probably that estrogen is um, produced in fat cells as well. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's a big, there is a big association, a strong association between women who are overweight and increased rates of breast cancer, because the more fat cells we have, the more estrogen we produce. There's that enzyme in fat cells called the aromatase enzyme that actually converts available testosterone 
into estrogen. That's an interesting fact to men, by the way, isn't it? When they find out that overweight men, if their um, testosterone that's available and circulating is being sequestered by aromatase and turned into estrogen, that's another a whole nother story for men you risk for get, prostate cancer etc because then, estrogen again is a growth hormone and some men get that we call the man boobs let's, let's the just moobs. say the moves that we just just put it out there it's like having a merce no but it's, well it, it's, it's excess uh, it breast is. tissue that is grown by estrogen exactly and then and there's a link between too much estrogen um, and diabetes and all kinds of health problems and we'll get into that as we go on but one of the things that I see, and I'm sure Candace sees this as well, is that when women come to see us for symptoms of hormone imbalance, they almost always think that they need estrogen because they right. feel as though they've been told, oh, yeah, menopause is low estrogen. And in fact, most often, in most cases, I would say, women are estrogen dominant, even though, again, they're est- unless they're super lean and super athletic, <clears throat> then they have almost like undetectable levels of estrogen. You know, one of the things I wanted to mention when you were you were making the point, a very important point, that progesterone is produced upon ovulation. When that corpus luteum forms, it does nothing but produce progesterone the whole second half of the cycle. And progesterone is, you know, feathering the nest. It's getting mm-hmm. the womb ready for a possible pregnancy. It is also the pregnancy hormone, right. progestation, progesterone. Without ample or adequate levels of progesterone, um, we risk miscarriage. There are there are studies that show higher rates of miscarriage among women that are low in progesterone. But what I wanted to say there was the idea of ovulation. When we are in menopause, as we're aging, yes, the aging ovaries don't produce as much hormone. We don't always ovulate every cycle, especially as we get into perimenopause, you know, when those hormones start to fluctuate and we're on the roller coaster and we have all those symptoms hot flashes and night sweats and, and um, mood swings. <clears throat> but so what's happening is the, the ovaries are aging. They're sort of packing their bags slowly but surely. It's gonna, it might take eight or 10 years. But in that period of time, we're not ovulating every cycle. You can have a period and not ovulate. And, right. and that means that that cycle you didn't produce progesterone, or perhaps there's also something called luteal insufficiency, where perhaps you didn't, you produce some progesterone, but not adequate levels of progesterone to balance the amount of estrogen you have on board. And this can happen to younger women. So it's not just about menopause. It can happen in perimenopause that we don't ovulate. And I see it in younger women, because I'm talking mm -hmm. to a lot of younger women and, and when they don't ovulate, which they should be doing, right? Uh, but yes. so often they've been on birth control for 10, 12, 13 years. Maybe they've come off because now they've met the man of their dreams or the partner of their dreams and they want to have a child. And they, lo and behold, they can't, they can't um, get, get a period back. And they're not producing any progesterone. When you see it in a test result, their progesterone is very low. Yeah, another and another reason uh, young women are having that issue is from, from stress. You know, yes. the cortisol will come into this play, and we'll get into a cortisol and during another episode. But the question of what disrupts ovulation is huge it's, when it comes to estrogen dominance. Yes, it's, it certainly is. And when Candace was talking about the uh, lack of progesterone in women as we get older, that's why we do see after the age of thirty-five, and definitely after the age of forty, higher risk of miscarriage because the progesterone levels are, are, need, are, need to be high enough to make maintain a pregnancy. Yeah. So oftentimes when women do seek infertility treatment or they see 
perhaps a naturopath or an acupuncture, they're trying to raise those levels of progesterone either in the body or giving them some progesterone outside. So it's a huge issue, and I wanted to bring up something. Before we go into the symptoms of estrogen dominance, I want to give people a few <coughs> definitions about perimenopause. We've been throwing around these words right, pretty please. freely here. So, mm-hmm. so when women ask me, how do I know I'm in menopause. So let's talk about perimenopause first because that precedes it. Perimenopause, as Candace was saying, can be anywhere from 10 to 15 years prior to a woman's last period. Peri meaning nearing. Nearing, but it can menopause. be it can be five years, it can be 10 years, it can be 15 years. And I think it's longer when women have a lot of stress. I, I think do it too. complicates the issue. Yeah, I really do It starts too. earlier and it lasts longer. Yep, and they have all kinds of symptoms. And again, when we were talking about not knowing when to seek help, you keep thinking, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's in my head. I ask somebody, they're saying, you're going to get through this. Now, finally, if you don't get any help during that time and you go into menopause, menopause, there's a couple of definitions. One is, let's take out your ovaries and your uterus. That will end your periods. That's menopause. Number two would be 12 months in a row of no period and then looking back. And number three would actually be measuring a hormone called FSH. Once it's elevated above a certain amount, and that varies from lab to lab, several times in a row, you can be pretty sure that you're done. And that's kind of explained by... FSH is elevated, and if you think about it, the signal to make hormone is being is falling on deaf ears. Right. So it's signaling louder and louder and louder, higher and higher levels, um, but the signal isn't being reached. That's why that level is high. Why yeah. FSH is kind of the high FSH is a definer of menopause. Yeah, it's it's called a feedback <clears throat> loop, and and there's no the loop is breaking because the ovaries aren't responding with releasing of follicles. It's called follicle-stimulating hormone. And when, it's, when, things are, when things are working well and a woman's young, the follicle gets stimulated and it grows into ovulation and it gets, you know, gets released into ovulation. But as she gets older, I keep telling people, it's like beating a dead horse. Come on, get that follicle out. Come on, let's go. Yeah. And it just keeps getting higher and higher. It's like shrieking at the end. You can mm-hmm. see FSH, a low FSH runs about maybe 3 to 10 in a young woman. In a, in a postmenopausal woman, it can be up as high to 100 and 150. Mm-hmm. So you, you, it's pretty clear that something has changed. Right. So we often in these cases see estrogen dominance because ovulation is waning, Mm -hmm. progesterone levels are waning. Um, But I wanted to also chime in about the reasons for lack of ovulation. So besides perimenopause, sporadic ovulation, and menopause, there's also in younger women the birth control effects um, that can last for a good year or two after stopping birth control, especially uh, depending on how long someone's been on it. But also we see, as you mentioned, Kyle, stress can disrupt ovulation. Also lack of good fats and good protein. Mm -hmm. So many gals, um, and I got in trouble on a podcast for saying this, I said, vegans who don't get enough protein. And I meant vegans, comma, who don't get enough protein, because there are those people who are very plant-based. And that's all good. I have no, uh, no considerations about that only that we get enough good protein and that we learn how to combine proteins properly because a lack of protein and a lack of good fat can really compromise ovulation and and hormone the quality of the hormones that we provide or produce also high intensity exercise we know that olympic athletes are famous for having anovulatory cycles that's because they have low fat too though low and, fat stores and the low fat too like oftentimes long distance runners are so lean that they don't have enough fat stores right to produce enough estrogen. So 
in so your all le- of those can lead to estrogen dominance, right? All of those reasons can yeah, be that's not estrogen triggers. That, that's estrogen. But I mean, lack yeah. of progesterone production, uh, yes. which so, then. So when you're thinking about getting, if you're a woman now that's thinking, am I in menopause or perimenopause? When if a woman comes to see me in the clinic and says to me, I had a, a weird period. I always tell them you're allowed to have one weird period a year, and that's okay because there's stress, there's lifestyle. I mean, anything can happen that can make your periods go off. But when it begins to happen over and over again, mm-hmm. your periods are not regular. They're heavier. They're lighter. They're all over the map. Then we be, need to begin to think about testing. And that's what walks into your office when you see a case of estrogen dominance. Tell us more. So, so, so women come to see me, and they're usually at their wits' end. You know, they've been running around in circles, like Candace said. They might be uh, maybe breast tenderness is a big, uh, big symptom of, of uh, estrogen dominance, and the little fat roll that women have. That many women, not myself, have walked around their lives with never having abdominal fat, and suddenly they have it, and it's just a new thing. Menopot. Menopot, and it's it's terrible. They're just going crazy. Anxiety. So they're, suddenly they're just worried about everything, and they're tearful. They're stressed out. They just feel mm. they don't feel like themselves. They're irritable, moody, mm. up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would say lack of libido too with estrogen dominance. They often don't feel sexy anymore. And yeah, absolutely. And and there's also weight gain. Yeah. And the estrogen fat pattern distribution when a woman is estrogen dominant is generally you start to see this migration of fat into the hips, the thighs, the belly, the bottom. Belly, the breasts—you know—that's that's really estrogen dominance showing you where it decides to go in all the wrong places. And sometimes you can even see it in the face, in the skin. You can see skin pigment changes, like they call melasma. If you mm-hmm. have too much estrogen, you get brown spots on your right. face. That often happens to women of darker complexions, especially during pregnancy and also in perimenopause. And while we're talking about symptoms of estrogen dominance, one of the huge ones is PMS. Yeah. Because remember um, back when Dr. John Lee, who's I think we've mentioned in earlier episodes, wrote the book, What Your Doctor May Not Tell You About Menopause, and also wrote the book, What Your Doctor May Not Tell You About Premenopause. Dr. John Lee had a a very successful OBGYN practice in Mill Valley, California, where they had the highest rates of breast cancer in the country. He went to study in England with Dr. Katerina Dalton, who Mm -hmm. was famous for looking into PMS in her patients because she realized there are 150 different symptoms of PMS, from pass me the shotgun PMS to every other kind known to man. And, you know, women wanting to divorce their husbands or break up with their boyfriends every time they have a cycle, being angry at all the people you love best in all the world. And Katerina Dalton was finding that those people that had the worst PMS were low in progesterone and were high in in either low in progesterone or estrogen dominant, which is generally the definition. So um, Dr. Lee came back and wrote the book and put this all on the map, didn't he? The concept of hormone imbalance. He coined the term estrogen dominance, actually. And I seem to recall that that Kathleen Dalton also had a, it was was called a Dalton uh, defense. There was a woman who was accused of murdering her husband. Exactly. And because of Kathleen Dalton, she was able to defend her and say this woman was crazy out of her mind with PMS and right. was able to defend her. So it, it's, a real, it's a very real thing. We see this estrogen dominance. We see it in so many different ways. People get can become so depressed and so irritated. PMS, is, there's actually a syndrome now coined by the pharmaceutical companies called PMDD, uh, premenstrual dysphoria 
dystrophy, dysphoric, uh, disorder. dysphoric disorder. Right. They actually began to advocate the use of SSRIs like Prozac mm-hmm. and Zoloft and Paxil, which makes no sense to me who wants to get down to the nitty-gritty and say, what's the hormone imbalance? Let's fix that first, right. and then let's see what's left over. What's, what's left to treat? If we get the hormones balanced again and we get a woman feeling her optimal in that way, what symptoms are left? And then we can think about treating those symptoms. Right. And that, that again, is the big issue with all of these imbalances and why we need to talk about them, because the very concept of hormone imbalance is a relatively new concept, wouldn't you say? I mean, mm-hmm. women not knowing what's going on with them, not knowing what questions to ask, as we've often said, that's the most important thing. Not realizing that there could be something hidden and underlying that is causing these things. And so many women sort of become their symptoms. I know. And not only that, but I mean, you were talking about you know birth control pills. Many women of our age didn't go on birth control pills, but most women in their 30s and 40s and probably early 50s now did. So they become used to the synthetic hormones in their body and they don't have the normal back and forth yeah. rhythms that you and I were very aware of our bodies. I mean, I knew when I was ovulating. I knew when I had PMS. I couldn't help myself because I didn't know what to do about it back then. But I knew when my period was coming, the bloating. When you're on birth control pills or even the IUD with a hormone in it, some people don't ovulate with that one. About 40% don't. So mm. then you're going to have these women who have become, they've lost that sort of sense of awareness of their bodies. And it may have been many women we see, and Candace does as well, who've been on birth control pills, their 30s, their 40s, their doctors keep them on it just because, and then they get to their mid-40s and they start getting breakthrough symptoms of menopause. The the symptoms are strong. They start breaking through that hormone, Mm -hmm. that synthetic hormone, and then you take them off of them and they're like, oh, this is what my body feels like. It's right. been so long. I have people on, on birth control pills for 30 years and never having been off other than having babies. It does surprise me how many women in perimenopause into their 40s are still on birth control. You know, it's interesting. When I first became a provider, um, the cutoff was 40. And definitely mm-hmm. if you were a smoker at 35, but at 40, people were not allowed to be on birth control pills. And suddenly that changed. Probably about 15 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago, it changed that women could be on birth control pills. And it's sort of shocking to me. So if, if a woman comes in my office and she's on birth control pills and she's in her 40s, I take her off them or I test her FSH during her, her spacer pills. That's the only mm-hmm. way to know if she's truly menopausal. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that one of these days we can interview Dr. Jolene Brighton, who just wrote a great book called Beyond the Birth Control Pill. That would be, she's excellent. She has a detox program for coming off birth control properly and how to detoxify your body from the effects of the long-term synthetic effects of these hormones, synthetic hormones. Um, And of course, Kyle and I are in the camp of bioidentical natural hormones, which we'll certainly get into in other episodes. So when we talk about using hormones to rebalance, we're talking about natural bioidentical plant-derived hormones that that are used in sync with your cycles and in, in mimicking Mother Nature. And that's a whole other subject, but they sure can bring relief. Yes, they can. So getting back to the estrogen dominance woman, she's coming into the office, what am I going to do? First of all, I'm going to take a really good history because in, in medicine, 
80% of my diagnosis is based on taking a really good history. I want to know her social life. I want to know her family life. I want to know what stresses her out. I want to know what her diet is. I want to know what her exercise is. And then I want to know about her, her symptoms, any medical problems. Of course, I'm going to delve into a usual medical history, but I do like to add in all the psychosocial because it's, a, it's going to really frame how I treat that person moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to do some testing on that woman. I'm going to do some blood testing, and I probably will look at thyroid levels, and I'm going to do a very comprehensive thyroid panel. I'm going to look at her vitamin D, her B12, her iron levels. Those are all really important cofactors in a woman's health and well-being. But then I'm going to offer her saliva testing. And uh, Candace is quite the guru on this because she worked at a saliva testing lab for a long time. But I'm going to order at what's called a hormone profile one or two or three. And I'm looking at her estradiol levels, her progesterone levels, her testosterone, DHEA, and her cortisol levels. And based on those results, I'm going to come up with a treatment plan. I'm not going to be guessing because you can come in the office with your best friend and you can have the same exact symptoms or very close and you're going to have very different hormone profiles. Right. And I tell people, I want to get it right. I don't want to, I don't want to monkey around with your health. You came to me because you felt crappy. I want to make you feel better. I want to make you better, feel better fast. And, you know, that's one of the things when I, when I was working at the um, hormone testing lab and we were testing thousands of people all over the country and in the world, really, it was so amazing to us to see levels that were so out of whack. M- many, many times women were on prescribed hormones and had never been tested, you know, so they had taken matters into their own hands and decided to order a test themselves or they'd found a functional medicine doctor finally and they were being tested. But it has been a chronic problem. First of all, with HRT, synthetic HRT, women were just put on the same one-size-fits-all hormone. Your sister, my mother, Mm -hmm. our friend down the block, we were all given the same level of hormone when we all are completely different. So the testing that you do is so important. Um, I just wanted to chime in that estradiol, as, as Kyle mentioned, is there are three estrogens in a woman's body, and estradiol is the most potent, the main circulating hormone. Um, especially during the reproductive years. So that's the one we generally measure. But there's estriol and there's estrone. But at any rate, knowing those levels is is being, is testing, not guessing. Because as she said, there are so many symptoms. There are so many overlapping symptoms. Every woman experiences them different. We have to use testing to confirm those symptoms. And also the degree to which the, the levels are out of range. Yeah, exactly. And and if you use, I mean, many people still use blood tests. I just find saliva testing measure more what's going on at the tissue level and give me a wide, give me a, it just give me a better handle on what's going on in the person's body. And I found that by treating them to the numbers on the, on the saliva test results and the person's symptoms and their, who that person is, you know, is she lean? Is she overweight? Is she active? Is she sedentary? How, what's her diet like? I put all those things into my little my little brain, and I come up with a plan for those people. Some of the plans are similar. I have to, you know, we're not all that different, we're, but we are different enough that one size definitely does not fit all. And I can't, I don't go to the shelf and pick up a, a, a sample of medication. I work with compounding pharmacies in general, and I have them make a potion, uh, an actual uh, a treatment that works for that person. A special formulation yes, and tailored the, to their needs based on test results. And, and the thing, So we're safe. Yeah, and the thing that we do is that, again, Candace and I also go into, we, we ask them, we put them on supplements, and we put them on you know progesterone, and we might put them on estrogen, depending on where they're at in their cycle. But we always bring them back to see, well, how's it working? 
Mm-hmm. You know, I don't just send them out the door and say, well, see you next year. I want to see you in two months. I want you to tell me, is this working for you? Monitoring is absolutely so important. And that I should, you know, you called me the guru, but with saliva testing, I did have to do quite a bit of educating about that. And it is important to distinguish between saliva and blood. The results are often, you know, the the, the same sort of accuracy, but they're testing different things. Mm -hmm. So saliva is providing uh, providers like you, and this is what we always saw at the lab, that the providers that liked saliva liked it because it was so much easier to correlate symptoms Mm -hmm. with the levels that showed up in the saliva because you're actually measuring what we call bioavailable hormone levels, which are those hormones that have actually that fraction of hormone that's left the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. Because hormones are carried in the bloodstream, right, by a a carrier protein Mm -hmm. on a red blood cell. So lots of hormone in the bloodstream. But there's always a fraction, that 2 to 4%, that is becoming what we call unbound from Mm -hmm. its carrier protein and moving into the tissues, the collection of cells, the target tissues of the body where hormones do their thing. And you always hear the key and the lock analogy. Mm -hmm. The hormone is like a key. It opens the receptor site or the lock of a target cell, goes in and flips all the master switches that govern our our emotional, physical, and mental health. And capturing a hormone en route to its target tissues in saliva gives us a much more active uh, level of hormone that does tend to correlate so much better with the symptoms people say they're experiencing. And so women finally have an answer. They can finally feel like, oh my God, there's a reason why I'm feeling this way. And doctors that use this testing are so relieved because they can give women the assurance that, look, we've just confirmed what, you, what you've been talking about and suffering with. And it's not all in your head because it's right here in black and white. Might I interrupt when you said doctors and nurse practitioners and, and nurse practitioners. And <laughs> Kyle, you were our number one nurse practitioner in, in Portland, Oregon. Well, not where I don't know, we but, are. Well, I, our, I prescribe our, a lot of hormones. But I think um, when Candace was saying that, I can't tell you how many times I have patients come into my office who are just at the end of their rope. They're crying. Again, I call it the Oprah moment. I have my little box of tissues. (laughs) And when I tell them I can help them, they just lose it because they've been told by so many people that's in their head, get get through it. Your mom lived through it. You know, deal with it. Get tough. But the but the real rub is when they come back to the office. I can't tell you how many people are so afraid to come to my office, and I'm going to tell them that something is just fine. And I always say, and and I tell them something is wrong. This is that fun part of my job, telling people what's wrong and they are happy. They're like, oh my God, thank you so much for giving me something to work with. It's just one of those funny little caveats of life. Who wants to be told that something's wrong? But you kind of do want to know something's wrong when you're feeling off. When you know something's wrong, but you just don't know what it is. You can't put your but, finger on it. And it's a good answer. It's <clears throat> an answer. It's not like getting a diagnosis that would well, tomorrow and you have five months to live. You know, it's it's basically we can get you back to balance. And isn't that a great message for women to hear mm-hmm. or, or all people to hear? We, you've been out of balance for a long time. You've known that something is wrong, but there's hope. Mm-hmm. And there and there are options. So now we're very lucky. Um if we, I'm sure we'll get into this a bit more too, but back in 2002, you ladies might remember the Women's Health Initiative that that it was gracing the headlines, hit, hit the headlines hard that, that that HRT, synthetic hormone replacement therapy known as Premarin, Prempro, was found to be very um, hazardous to women's health. And there have been <clears throat> arguments about the, you know, the, the enormity of the findings, but nevertheless, 
The findings did indicate increased risks that were unacceptable, greater risk than benefit with HRT. And at the same time, when that news came out, women stopped using HRT and started looking at bioidentical hormones because they were being used in Europe for ages. Mm -hmm. And there were lots of studies in Europe. We just don't have the studies in America. But we have physiology and we have science. And that's where bioidenticals come in because they mimic our natural hormones. They're derived from plants. They're used in sync with our cycles. They're used in Goldilocks amounts. And I'm sure you use quite a bit of them in, I do. in helping your patients. And the reason that they're not studied in our country, let's get political for a second. Let's get to the WTF of this. Yeah. Is that pharmaceutical companies in general or large universities are the ones that study, <clears throat> do drug studies. There is no financial incentive to study bioidentical hormones in our country. And what's happening is now... For no patent, no profit. Exactly. And so, and they're a lot cheaper. But people, again, get caught up in the whole thing. Well, is my insurance going to pay for it? Well, no, but out of pocket, it's probably going to be cheaper than some of these things that have been available. And um, I, I think that now some of the drug companies are becoming aware, and there actually are becoming some, what they're calling bioidentical hormones, available through pharmaceutical companies. They're definitely a, a huge sea change in our country. Yes, it's happening. It's happening. And we need to all be aware of what's going on behind the scenes, and we need to be aware of legislation. One of the pharmacists that uh, we know very well, who runs one of the local pharmacies in town, just went to Capitol Hill to lobby her, her representative and talk to them about that. It's always under... Um, uh, threat of being shut down, the, the, the compounding pharmacies are, there's a lot of people trying to get them shut down because it takes away from their profit margin. So it's very important that you as as a consumer know what some of the issues are. Yeah, and that you know that people are out there fighting because years ago I was up on Capitol Hill with the International Academy of Compounding Pharmacies and we all went up there and met our met our senators and elected officials and, and the whole this has been going on for years to protect access to bioidentical hormones and safe access and to protect uh, regulation, et cetera. So it, it's, we're succeeding. We're continuing to be able to have access to these safer, more um, natural hormones that have not been shown to have the same side effects or risk factors. So it, it, there's a lot of, there are a lot of options here, plus the uh, natural holistic approaches to diet and exercise. Um, her herbs and vitamins. There are so many things that all work together to create uh, a hormone balance and to rebalance an estrogen dominance situation. I talked to a gal yesterday that I've been working with who told me, well, my PMS is gone. I'm sleeping better. I don't have sugar cravings and my libido is back. And I mean, those things are huge. It's huge. That's life-changing. It is life-changing. Let's talk a little bit about um, some of the things that we do. So just quickly, so we probably get in the interest of time, uh, we want to talk about some of the things that we do recommend for people who do have estrogen dominance. Right. Number one would be the use of progesterone. Now, um, as a provider, I can prescribe that, and I usually prescribe it in the form of a cream, and I use it during the second half of a woman's cycle if she's still cycling. Mm -hmm. I might put her on some milk thistle, which helps to detoxify the liver. Mm -hmm. If she has true estrogen dominance, I might put her on a supplement called DIM, which is the extract of cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage. See. It helps to detoxify the estrogen down the pathway that's... And it helps helps to get rid of some of the extra est estrogen and testosterone in the body. So those are some of the main things I do. I support her adrenals. And how about you, Candace? Same thing. Um, if I see estrogen dominance, if there's irregular periods, I often recommend the herb chaseberry, mm -hmm. vit which is often called Vitex, the Latin form, because Vitex is thought to 
stimulate the the LH production that mm-hmm. you talked about, which jogs the ovaries to produce progesterone. Um, also, progesterone cream can be compounded. It's also available over the counter, non-prescription. There are a couple really good brands. One is called Progest, which is made by a company here in, in Portland, Oregon. It's been made for 30 years and used in some of the studies. So it's a really good... Progesterone is very benign, so it doesn't require always require a prescription. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if there's estrogen dominance, especially exposure to environmental estrogens, like the toxins in our cosmetics and cleaners, and that's a whole other subject, xenoestrogens, um, we, that can cause estrogen dominance, and that's where DIM comes in, dindoli L-methane is, you don't need to know that word, DIM but is that good. is that extract of cruciferous vegetables Kyle talks about. It's, it's like eating two pounds of Brussels sprouts, and that's kind of hard to do every day. Yeah, not Or, the or ca- kale or cabbage. or sp- So that's great stuff. A calcium deglucurate is also wonderful for helping detoxify estrogens. And then also, I always try to educate people about being aware that hormone injected meat and dairy Mm -hmm. is so important to avoid that you look for the label, these animals were raised without hormones, because the, you know, the dairy and cattle industry are are pumping growth hormones into that cow to make it grow fat Mm -hmm. faster. And who do you think makes grows fat faster from that and increases our estrogen burden. So always look for the label. Happy cows, no hormones, no antibiotics. That's hugely important. Yeah, also grass-fed beef. Try to or and try to eat organic whenever you can. You can go on a website, look up the Dirty Dozen, and try to avoid those fruits that are and vegetables that are smaller that have uh, less skin to protect them. So these are all things that we would go over them, and we'll we'll post all these things on our website. But I think we'll we'll get back to some of these issues on the next episode. There's a lot to talk about, ladies. This conversation is going to go for a long time. Can you feel so, it, Candace? Yeah, we can do it. But we wanted to start with that first imbalance, just to give you an idea that of all that welter of symptoms, they do fall into certain categories of imbalance, and it's important to identify them so that we, as Kyle, as a practitioner, me as a health educator, can help you to, to point you in the right direction to hormone rebalancing. And obviously, it can be done because we have lots of happy patients, don't we? We sure do. Well, here we are at the end of this WTF, Women Talking Frankly, podcast episode. In signing off, we want you to remember that what you are feeling is not all in your head. And that you have so many options to choose from to get you back to balanced living. Until next time, be well. And remember, if you want a great life, you need to ask great questions. Be courageous. Ask for what you need. With love, Kyle and Candace. Our website is womentalkingfrankly.com, where you can find all of our episodes, check out the show notes for resources, articles, and remedies, and where you can also feel free to email us with any questions, a hormone story, anything you'd like us to share with our listeners. Women Talking Frankly, WTF, is produced by Dan Rigger of Medicine Whistle Studios in his lovely Southeast Portland, Oregon studio. We want to thank our webmaster and dear friend, Deb Hollister of Pure and Simple Graphic Design. We also want to give a shout out to all of our family, friends, and patients for all of their support and encouragement to start this podcast. We are your hosts, Kyle McAvoy and Candace Birch.